Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast with Jim Coyle. Now, Jim, you're a uh, you're a pastor, and I want to go back a little bit further back to when you were a boy to begin with the yeah. story. You know, as all men have a boy story. <laughs> you may not want to talk about the stories of being a boy. Some are good, some are bad. But but you have this story where you're the son of a World War II veteran. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, uh, uh, kind of between the wars. My dad was born in uh, 1927, and so by the by the time he was of a military age, uh, he was in high school or approaching military age. And I, there was a day he and I drove around his old neighborhood, and he just started to tell stories about his young life. It's a great day, and he had never ever spoken of his military experience. He had a little box full of patches and and some of the stuff that he kept in his office, but it was just not something he spoke much about. And I just asked, you know, what what was it like? He talked about wartime era. He talked about the rationing. He talked about the gold stars that would appear in the windows in the neighborhood. He he talked about um, guys he knew when he was a freshman in high school who'd graduated and gone off to war uh, and didn't come back. But his service was something that uh, he didn't speak much about. He was stateside most of the time and uh, did a lot of administrative work. And I can only speculate as to what that was, having having come through uh, at that age. Um, knowing the sacrifice that had been made uh, in his community. Um, but I think largely, too, it was for him um, just something he did out of a sense of duty, obligation, uh, and was was happy when it was over. <laughs> so, so he was in between. World War, I mean, he was drafted, you said. He was drafted and... Um, by the time he needed to report, the, the war was over. Um, and so that m- meant whatever. And I don't even know the specifics. Oh, because he was in college. The draft came through, and they said, at the end of this, you show up. He, it was his actually his senior year in high school. Oh. So, right, that would have been 19, I'm just guessing here, uh, 1945. Something like that. That's when the war. Yeah. And that, and that was just um, among, and he just, you know, he had, he, he hung with a bunch of guys. He liked, he was a drummer in a big band. Jesus was a big band jazz fan, loved working on cars. Um, and so kind of hung out with the guys that were musicians and, and gearheads of their time. Uh, so had a different vision and agenda for his life, but also was keenly aware of what was going on in the world. Uh, you, could, you couldn't get parts for cars. Uh, you know, you scrap stuff together. 
uh, and knowing the implications that that meant for him and his friends personally was that at some point uh, they were going to have to step up and participate in it. Um, but yeah, he 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 one the one story he would tell was of a and I don't know if this was in basic. But the guy kept calling his name. The last name is Coyle, and he just kept him calling him Coley, and he was pretty convinced that it was just to try to harass him. Harass him. <laughs> I think everybody who's wore a uniform knows a little bit about harassment yeah. somewhere. And, and it was this unrelenting, but he wasn't going to let it get to him. Um, so it his 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 particular his service. Uh, I think for him, I think perhaps in relation to the sacrifice that was made by classmates and friends and neighbors of his, I think that's one out of a sense of humility. He didn't like to talk much about his time because of of the of the sacrifice and service that others had been given. He worked in a largely. it was it was stateside, and he was at the ready. It had the had the call come, um, but he didn't have to serve in combat. And I think that was he was a very humble guy in that way. And just talking with you, I just try to put myself. None of those are things that he said to me, but seemed to make sense to me as to why he was quiet about uh, his time in the military. Um, and the deep sense of how blessed we were as kids to grow up where we did when we did in the country that we were part of part of and gifted um so i understand my upbringing to be one of respect for for god country uh, and service um which i think is has put a heart in in, in me uh as i i have i have not served in the military uh, I have served in and uh, around communities that serve uh, the military community. And it really met, it was when I met you um, that I began to understand more fully what my, my responsibility and my opportunity to serve those who have served. And, and that's participating as I can and, and being some help to you in the ministries of Vet Church. Well, I, I love, you know, you talk about ministry and you know, it's, it's your dad was, I, I guess in a sense he planted, he must have planted some kind of seed or something because I met you when you were doing the veterans night, you know, your, your, your church is providing the space for the veterans night at the Pensacola beach songwriter festival. And they had, you know, Renita Cross had found me. She's the lady that runs the festival and kind of, kind of ran me down and was just like, Hey, you got to come do this. And, and I meet you and, and Bob Regan was there, uh, from operation song. Want to meet Mark Sherrill and, and T-Bone Montgomery and, and, and a bunch of other really influential musicians and writers who looked at like what I was doing as a outreach, like this whole idea of vet church was, was in the, in the making. Mm-hmm. And then where the musicians pulled me in one direction, you said to me, Come, come help out with the service. <laughs> and it was, it was weird. It was the first time I'd been back up, um, literally, you know, behind a pulpit, uh, on a stage 
serving. You know, we did communion together. I think the first thing we did. Yeah. Just serving communion. And and I, I was comfortable with that because I've been doing it with Vet Church and and I've done it many, many times. I was super comfortable and it was like, wow, that's, you know, I'm enjoying the comfort. And then the, the Monday, t- Thursday ceremony. Yeah. That was powerful. Where I had a little bit of a flashback and it took like, I mean, like I was just transported right back to the chapel in Afghanistan and, and kind of like left you in the, in the breeze. Um, I knew you had gone off somewhere in your mind. I didn't know where, but it, it, uh, and, and quite honestly, uh, it added to, it added to the gravity of the service, it, particularly as a Maundy Thursday service with those who aren't familiar with it. That is the, you might know it as the last supper, right? As the, the night before Jesus, the night when he's betrayed and, um, it it is just again sitting here reflecting on that evening with you how many times did you break the bread and pour the wine uh bef- before you sent your friends colleagues out into to battle out to confront um uh, well it, it's it's such a such an important thing yeah the lord's supper is not just this um it's not just in remembrance it's also in action Mm -hmm. like it's it's the already and the not yet in culmination and the has been all in the moment like it's all there yeah and as a pastor i mean i love like i'll you know so, what's the name of the church you do? The name of the church you you were at? Pensacola Beach Community Pensacola it's, Beach Community Church. We okay. go by the nickname of the Beach Church. That's I, well. That's always yeah. I'm always a little bit. So you you've been the pastor now for uh, six years. Six years and going on another three or four or who knows how long. Yeah. Well, I, and I love that community. I feel you know it's it's you guys are over an hour from my house. I mean, mm-hmm. you drove over here this morning. There was one accident. It took you another thirty minutes or something. Yeah. And it's, you know, especially starting next year, our plan is to be in worship with y'all, like, every, you know, two, two Sundays out of the month to start having a vet church, an actual place where vet church is meeting. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not called like you are to stand up there every Sunday. Like, I know that's, um, it's not, it's not that it's not my gifting. It's my calling within the gifting. Does that make sense? Am I saying yeah, that right? No, like, I, it made me. It brings me back to what we were talking about the songwriters festival and and how it is. I thought there 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 is if there is a line at all there the the connection. It's it's all communication, right? Uh, it and and different messaging, but in in whether you are standing up and holding a t- guitar and singing, you're communicating the love of God. In the beginning. Right, it's formless and void, and this creative voice speaks. Uh, in C.S. Lewis's Narnia series, uh, the Aslan, right, the the God character sings creation into being, and this this this, and he sings color, and he sings uh, the created order into being, and so whether especially at that era when you were playing biker bars and strip clubs, and singing and and being present. 
that was speaking in the language that could be heard. It, in its way, it is preaching. It is proclaiming good news, the good news that's expressed through through music, art, present presence, practice. I happen to, to do those things in a very more, what we would call maybe a more traditional way uh, with liturgies and hymns and uh, celebrating the, the, the gifts of what has been. Um, and yet there's always new expressions of, of the gospel, of the good news of God alive and with us. And I think that's, that's what's been exciting about collaborating with you, just getting to know you as a friend and a colleague is uh, it's in, kind of broadened my 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 own personal bandwidth. I mean, I even come and look at uh, a lot of stand-up comedy as prophetic preaching in a way. It can be dark sometimes, and some of it's just not certainly ungodly. Uh, but there are there are a lot of very deep and thinking comics out there, and I'd even name you know someone like Dave Chappelle as a he's a social critic, and and and. He has a way of cutting the tension uh, and the difficulties of race relation, politics, uh, and, and the other topics which have been hot button, lightning rod issues for him. Um, but it's being clear on what you have to say and what you believe, holding the attention of an audience for a particular period of time um, and being honest to what you, what you believe. And there's different, it comes in different expressions. Like, let's talk about Dave Chappelle for a minute. Yeah. Do you mind jumping in there? That's I mean, fine with me. I know he drops uh, he drops a few <laughs> words that are, like, rough and they grab you around yeah. the edges. I also find him to be, well, uh, you uh, you basically introduced me to Dave Chappelle. Like, I'd, I'd heard of Dave Chappelle. And I remember you calling me up and saying something to the effect of, you know, I feel like our sermons as pastors, as a whole, ought to probably mirror a little bit more Dave Chappelle than we do. Like we 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 tend to like stay away from that, the realism of it, and we we tend to not like we we get ourselves all serious and and stern, and we ought to be more like. Chappelle, maybe just drop the microphone at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember saying that conversation with me? Yeah, it, it, I mean, obviously, right there, he operates in a particular realm. He's there to make people laugh. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, he's a and comic. Some of the things that he says are outrageous, offensive, and intentionally so, because it's the the, the craft is to string a few words together with a laugh at the end. Um. But also, the, I think in his brilliance, because he is clearly a, a deep-thinking person uh, based on his life experience, that it's, it is the, the meaning of words, the impact of words, saying certain things in a certain way uh, to uh, evoke a, a reaction. And, and sometimes social commentary or prophetic preaching um, the best way to give it a hearing is to to get to knock people on their heels disarm it a little bit with with laughter I think people can think more openly about some of these issues that he touches on in through comedy uh, but diffuses our natural defensiveness 
with although people obviously get very defensive and offended by some of the things he has to say um, but i think there are things that the preacher can learn from that art form uh, that doesn't mean that we need to make our language foul or or touch on things that are unholy or ungodly but in terms of the craft of again standing in front of a group of people with something that you want to say a message that you want to convey um, and whether or not I want to make you laugh, what I want to do is to use language, to use words, to make you think deeply about those things that are good and true and beautiful. Uh, to We can rattle off words in the church like hope and peace and love and joy, but uh, to actually think for a, a minute about what all those things mean, how they're real. I mean, you always talk about, Matt, about a God who is real. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that we can never lose sight of. It's it's not a God of, of a concept, not a God that is somehow lost to history. But when, when the church, in its church language, talks about the real presence of Christ, uh, what we mean is the real presence of Christ, that, 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 that spirit takes up space. It's real. It has energy and effect. Um, and just to tie some of these threads together, uh, I don't think you can, there's no one particular way of communicating that is sufficient. That's why within the worship, the setting of worship, that's why we have songs and silence, uh, prayers, liturgies, uh, and, and actions to give ritual and voice and words to that which is ultimately mysterious. Well, it's, it's mystical. Yeah. Yeah. Like it really is. There's, I'm often in awe of how little I actually know about God, about the format of Christianity. It's not like I haven't studied a little bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's as if there's an elusiveness that we're never yet to attain while in this skin. In order to have faith, it means like just, you know, you're not going to know. <laughs> you can't prove it. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes I look at our, our counterparts in ministry, other pastors and the evangelical evangelists. I mean, part of me is evangel evangelical. Part mm -hmm. of, part of me is extremely liberal. I'm I'm a, I'm a whole person. I'm pretty complete, you know. And I got I'm a mess, and uh, and I'm also perfectly and wonderfully made. I'm created in the image of God, and I have a lot to offer. And I'm struggling with the with the flesh and all this stuff. That's mm -hmm. you know, you're always fighting this, and um, there's there's a constant draw to be right and the one thing you cannot put with faith is being right because you don't know that you're right you believe it's faith for me it all comes back to jesus christ because of faith because i don't know everything about christ because you know it's it's a it's impossible you know, the, the scripture says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And the verse goes on in that 
But it's the, it's it's almost like the faith that pleases Christ. Like he knows we want to believe. He knows I want to do what's right. And as a pastor, hang on a second. I have this dog down here <laughs> snoring on her. I don't know if you could hear it, but I could. You could, yeah. Oh, Doc's just down here snoring away. Um, but so so this faith thing comes in, and and I've loved you and I. I go I go in the auditorium with you one day. We just I come over. We're gonna pray. Mm-hmm. And um and we've done this a couple times. And you took out and did smoke, uh, incense. incense you burned it. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, if you would. Why why did you do that? I think well, it's it it is another way for us to point toward mystery. I think light the lighting of candles, the burning of incense, not out of any sense of rote ritual action, but the significance of of candle light, the, the incredible mystery that light itself is, uh, and its representation of the presence of the holy. Uh, incense, in particular, is uh, came to me uh, through conversation with a friend who has a very deep interest in what what she refers to as the fragrance of Christ. That that among all of this, our whole ability at a sensory level to experience, name, point toward the presence of the holy, and so in our sanctuary space, yeah, quite often, uh, I'll. I just keep this big kind of tub full of sand and I'll jam a candle down in there, light that and light a single stick of incense. Uh, it brings light into the space that, that I couldn't see before and a very a beautiful fragrance of little stuff I use is frankincense and myrrh. And, um, it, I think it, it just, it is a, a part of, uh, creating nurturing sacred space so if you and i are in the sanctuary to have a conversation uh that we understand to be important and holy and we need to make the space different than other spaces that's one of the ways i do it i feel very compelled many of the times when i'm uh, uh, there personal prayer i take my shoes off just out of a sense of uh, <laughs> we got you got to put a CPAP max mask on your dog. <laughs> snoring away. Oh, buddy. There he goes. Okay, so so I think it just was another thing that points to to uh, mystery and and in a in a very fast paced world uh, where we often are we're busy, we're, we're hustling, we're trying to pay the bills and take care of the kids, or maybe we got sick parents or we're taking care of ourselves or a spouse. There's so much practical stuff to do to pause and do the simple gesture of lighting a candle or a stick of incense and give yourself 15 minutes to let that fragrance fill the room, to slow down and to breathe. Um, and to name the calm that comes over you, the, a holy presence, and to do that regularly. I wanted to comment, <clears throat> you were talking about how sometimes our religion can feel rote, or we want to feel in control and that we know, that I know. And um, you know, we, we kind of made a covenant uh, before we started recording, but not trying to diminish or, or critique anyone's tradition or practice. 
And so you can say words like evangelical and culturally a significant part of the population will have a, a negative, yeah. yes. hypercritical version of, of religion come to mind. But we, we, we are, you and I are both evangelicals. We believe in an evangelization culture. The, to to in thought, word, and deed, and and by the the best ability to live one's life, to represent um, the highest self. That and that, that is for me. It is to really lean into the ancient prayer of love the Lord your God with all your all your being, all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is a lifelong journey. Uh, but this past week in the lectionary, we had this passage from Luke. And I'll mess up where it is. I think it's 18.9. Uh, it's the story of uh, Jesus who's been teaching at this point a series of parables. And the, the common heading on it would be the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector or the Pharisee and the publican. And as he says, two men go into the temple and pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. And the Pharisee... Uh, it's interesting. You, you could play with the interpretation a little bit. The, the, the Pharisee prayed to himself. And now is he praying under his breath to himself or is he praying to himself? You know, I tithe 10%. I fast twice a week. I only need to fast once a week, but I fast twice a week. I tithe 10% of everything that I, uh, that I make, even though I don't need to tithe on everything I make. I, I'm good. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I got about 10 minutes left here. I could just chill because I've got all the box. There's a self-assurance um, that it's he has ticked all the boxes in that his understanding of his religion is to get everything lined up perfectly. And, and at least I'm not like this guy over here. Right. Who's reviled? He's an enemy of his own people, a betrayer of his own people. He's collecting the Roman tax. He's selling out his own people for a few shekels. But then Jesus gives us a, a mirror into his prayer posture. He can't even look toward heaven. He's completely convicted of his sin uh, and just says, Lord, have mercy. And he closes by saying, this is the one, the one who could barely look toward heaven, the one who's convicted of his own sin and shortcoming, who pounds his chest. He's the one that went home justified. And that, for me, that faith is that he's the one that realizes the goodness of God, the healing. The other guy's fine. He's a good guy. You want a Pharisee around, someone to keep stuff in order and, and to hold the tradition. Yeah. But if anyone went home healed that day, if anyone went home having had an encounter, a healing encounter with God, it was the one who had some sense of his own brokenness. And I think in our own churches, uh, uh, it's maybe the most honest expression, the most vulnerable uh, confessing expression of church isn't on Sunday morning, but uh, it's in the recovery group that meets on Tuesday afternoon. That it, it's the circle uh, and, and, the, and the litany there begins, hello, my name is Jim and I'm a, hi Jim. It's confession, it's grace, it's, it's a community of, of people who are courageous enough to say, I, I have this demon in my life that I don't seem to overpower, but I know in this community uh, and with the help of a sponsor and with an understanding that I need an authority that is much bigger than me 
to move past, move through, and to cast out. Uh, that to me is 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 a, a genuine or very very right raw simplified version of of what it is that we're trying. And and the church that goes on upstairs uh, on Sunday morning ought to maybe borrow a bit from what's happening in the circle of folding chairs and bad coffee. Yeah. Well, I, I think too, that that's the, I, I love how you said it begins with, Hey, my name is Matt. <laughs> Hello, Matt. <laughs> and I'm a blank, right? Um, I think we, as we, as pastors have a lot on our plates like what do you do? Like that's you know. Do you remember remember the um, the story of Jonah? Mm-hmm. Like right away, like question number four or whatever. They're in the they're in the boat. Jonah's running from the Lord, <laughs> running from the Lord, and gets in the boat. And the Lord is like, "Okay, go ahead, get out there and see. I'll start a little storm up. Storm starts." And, and and the question comes up. The guys in the boat say to Jesus or to Jonah, "What do you do?" Like it's this question, right? And I, I, I like I remember reading that over and over when I was young and as a pastor, just being enthralled with that idea. Like, what do you do? Who are you? It's the first thing we say to people. When we, we, how do you get to meet them? Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Matt. Hey, I meet you. Nice to meet you. So, what do you do? And then what do I say? Do I say I run vet church? Do I say I'm a painter? Do I say, oh man, I'm I'm Jim's friend? Do I say, hey, I, I take care of this little dog who's sleeping at my feet? Mm-hmm. No, we we always try to put our best forward. Like, look at me, man. I, I sell art, and in the in the in, and I've been tempted to be like, All right, I've sold art for a blank amount of money. As if as if being an artist alone wasn't enough. Who cares if you sell it? Mm-hmm. Who cares if you sell for one penny? You know, there's been times when God's told me, give that piece of art to that person. And, and it's like, hang on a second, what was more important? And, and I think faith goes back to this, mm-hmm. this mystery you're talking about when you light the candles and and the incense. And, and one thing I will, will comment on is, since we're here, I love your phone discipline. Like you got off Facebook, you got off all the social media stuff. I don't think I, I um, unless like we were just talking and you knew, like your phone rings, you don't answer it right away. I don't know how you pull this off, but I don't think I've ever, <laughs> I don't think I've ever just called you and you picked up the phone right away. Like we always text and, and you've got good phone discipline. Like a thing doesn't run your world. Yeah. Well, I think especially those of us who, who came of age and, where the, the the technology kind of invaded our space, we had to adapt to it. And so it was more obvious to us that it was intruding. I mean, actually, we speaking of my dad, right? I was uh, at my dad's, how my dad died I don't know, 15 years ago. Uh, and I was going through, still, my mom still keeps his desk in his office down in the basement at their house. And there was a, a stash of letters Letters, uh, written business letters from colleagues from different points in his career. 
letters written on nice stationery, letters written in uh, a, a, a wonderful English. Uh, and that's how you communicated. That's how you did business. Uh, it, it was the occasional phone call, but it was the drafting of letters and the taking of time. And one of his favorite things uh, about business in that era was the relationships that they established. And if you wanted to see a customer, you got on the train. Uh, and he, for a while, was a, a manager of a team of salespeople. And he, and he would say he loved his guys. And they, they, they were a team. Um, but at the end of the day, my dad, I was blessed. He came home, he got off the train. There was no cell phone in his pocket. There was no email that he was checking. When he was home, he was home. Now he got up early and he worked late, but when he was home, he was home. Uh, I tried to have that same discipline as I was coming into my working life. And it was, we were transitioning. At first it was fax machines and then email really proliferated, but you had it at the office. I didn't have a laptop at the house. Uh, and so, and somewhere along the line, uh, as my, we have six kids, and, uh, and while I was beginning to fall into that tech 24-hour availability trap, uh, there was a moment when I realized it took, when I was in that mode, if one of the kids was trying to get my attention, it would always take them, Dad, hey, Dad, 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 before I would, like, come to present. <laughs> Right. And that's, I think, and you can see it now. uh, One of the, one of the joys of, of simple joys of parenthood. I was blessed in my pastoral schedule that I, when the kids were in elementary school, there was my church back in Michigan. I had kids in preschool, uh, elementary school, middle school, and high school. So my wife and I would have to divide. We didn't have bus service. So we'd have to divide and conquer on picking up the kids. And one thing I saw happen was, it used to be particularly the women uh, would get together and talk while they were waiting for the kids to get out of school. And over time, I saw that devolve into a line of women all staring at devices. So, so this little noticing of, I don't, I, I use my phone all the time. It's a great tool. I probably still spend too much time on it. Uh, but I, I, I realized that that the technology should serve us and not the other way around. Um, and it's as simple and as hard. I like being on Facebook 50% of the time, but I didn't like what their corporate culture represented. And I'm not going to get into that, but it just was not for me. And I didn't like the way the anonymity of Twitter, Facebook, people... Are, can be vile to friends. I saw you could see friendships end over the argument of politics. Typically, it was often about politics in this last season. Some of it regarding the pandemic, um, and I thought that's. I, I I kind of miss the days when it was about someone showing you a picture of what they had for lunch. You know that that was that was much easier than when it became so super. This, uh, it was like a cage match, you know, <laughs> two men enter, one man leaves. And, uh, I just, I was done. And I, I, people still look at me like, what's your, you know, how can I find you on social media? And I, you can't. 
I wish that wasn't the case because it's a great tool. You guys but, do have a podcast. Yeah, we have a, we uh, it's through our website, but you have to go to thebeachchurch.com. But it's so it's housed at our website, and it's you know all those. And if you look at any of the the those who are teaching on how to communicate in the in the digital for church in particular yeah. in, in the current culture there is wonderful opportunity to use uh, whatever yeah, TikTok and to get short messages out there and at least to be salt and light in what sometimes feels like a sewer so there is absolutely reason to be present uh, but for me as an individual I just I realized it was not healthy and I've I have five girls and all of them at the same time well three of them that were engaged in instagram uh they all deleted their instagram accounts and they all will testify to almost instantly feeling better being happier less anxious simply by getting rid of of that particular application that's a whole different conversation. But yes, I do try to be disciplined about uh, using this incredible supercomputer that walks around with us. Oh, yeah. Uh, to if, if you're calling and I'm in the middle of something, I message you back and say, I'll call you so that when I'm so that when we do talk, it's it's, it's my conversation with is all about you. And I'm not. I used to work in retail grocery. I'm not standing in front of a retail clerk trying to check out my groceries, talking on the phone and completely ignoring the person who's uh, engaged with me and being on the receiving end of that. And I used to work at Trader Joe's, uh, which I loved. But there was nothing more like I am, I am, I might as well be one of those, you know, automatic, no, no clerk cash registers. Because you are not even acknowledging me as a human being, and that was a huge part of the corporate culture was kind of make friends. You know, we're like hey, a Trader Joe's is like a family, right? You, you your customers are your friends. Uh, so I don't know how I've got off on that big rant, but uh, well, I guess you teed it up with my phone discipline. I love tech. I, I'm still trying to learn how to make it. Well, it, serve it goes back me. to this presence of the holy. Yeah, I want to stay with technology. For me. <clears throat> In, in, as far as asking you a question, you yeah. know, and in, in, in that church interview, you know, yeah, you don't have to answer kind of thing. You're in a, you're a fabulous guitar player. Like, and, and like, I remember, I remember just recently I was going to, at the Pensacola Beach Songwriter Festival, mm -hmm. um, I had to go play a show and I'd come over to the church and we, you and I went in the sanctuary and you were just sitting there shredding. I mean, you were doing things I can't do. You're a, you're a guitar player. You know, there's a difference between those of us who play guitar and sing a song and those who play the guitar. And we were talking with our wives later. And uh, and I said, yeah, Jim was just praying for me. And you were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but I think there's something in this music. And, and, and when you play the guitar, it's, it's an electric guitar. It's plugged in. So it's not just music. It's technology. Mm -hmm. but it is very worshipful and it's it's very healthy to pick up the phone and talk to somebody there's there's nothing wrong with that and there's nothing right about it it's not a, it's a 
it's a mute kind of thing. It's not right or wrong. Right. It's, it stands outside and in, it enters into what we call ontology. It's ontologically. It is. It's that which is. And we have a choice, like to take the things that are and approach them meditatively, worshipfully, to be in the presence of, of a holy God. Like you're talking about with the incense. Mm-hmm. I, I saw no difference between you lighting the incense and candle and playing that guitar had you'd been standing there, you know, because I, I read, I, I was reading a passage out loud of the scripture yeah. and you just played and it was like, it was awe-inspiring. You know, and I, I could feel that we were had been ushered into the presence of a holy God. And I think that I think that we live in a society that's going two hundred miles an hour. You know, like you, you, you worked at Trader Joe's and there was another big company you worked at that you helped them start up and mm-hmm. and I, I'm always thrilled with that other company. But uh that's your story. You don't have to tell that. <laughs> but it, um, like it, it interests me because you had this ability to become one of these corporate guys who walks around with a phone in your pocket or in a wristwatch on your wrist and maybe two phones. I know people with two mm-hmm. phones right now and, and constantly, well, I got to go here. And you don't do that. Like when you showed up for the interview, you're like, yeah, what do you want to do? We looked at some art, played some music. And and then me and my, let's go do this because I, because I want I want to share some of that story that you have. Like, how did you get to this point where you're okay being where you're at with people? Like, we've been together for now a couple hours. I don't remember you looking at your phone the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm the dinner, uh, not the dinner, but I was a meeting yesterday. Dude's looking at his watch, like, you know, because well, just you know, I got one of the things too. You know, <laughs> texts are coming up on the watch now, and and I'm thinking, man, am I just like, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying irrelevant at the time? Uh, how do how do we do this? How do we get to this point where like we're just to be in the presence of God, in the presence of your neighbor, in the presence of your friends, and even in the presence of your enemy? How do you get there? Yeah. How do you get back there? It seems like we knew it when we were kids in sixth grade. Yeah, I think we all know it, and I I think it is um, like everything. It requires it's practice. It it is it is. Okay, let's let's break that down. Yeah, you say it's practice. Say I'm. <clears throat> say I am who I am. At 29 years old, um, an E4 in the United States Army. No, I'm at 29 years old. I'm an E1, Fort Benning, Georgia just coming through I'd had a business life's going hectic and I get an hour to like wash my boots I got stuff to do my time is taken care of because I'm in basic training or something like that and I've got like this hour it's a cherishable hour I could write a letter I could do some push-ups I could go for a run I remember going and sitting over by this tree and just sitting there. And I took a pair of boots that I needed to polish. I'm just sitting there. Drill sergeant comes by and he's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just sitting. I don't know why, but I just need this space for a few minutes. 
is it that? Is that what you're talking about? Or is it something else? And, and how do you get, you know, like, how do you grasp even that it is important? I, I, I think it begins. I, that you are, we're probably more in, in touch with your need to be still, um, than maybe somebody else. But I, I know in my pastoral ministry and in my own personal experience, uh, that we all need to be quiet. Um, I guess what I mean by practice is, is to find, uh, in, in it, like some practices are, they don't feel natural necessarily as you begin them. Um, illustration, uh, speaking of music and guitar, um, and, um, and how one learns how to play a particular instrument. I, I played on and off for a long time, but mostly, you know, like the, whatever you call them, the cowboy chords, the open chords at the top yeah. of the neck and the stuff I do just <laughs> stuff that's fun. And, and you can make a lot of music, uh, with a few chords, uh, but I never even thought about what it might be like to, to go a little further with it. Uh, sometimes, cause I would say, Oh, I don't have the time. And you know, as kids, as I accumulated kids, I had less and less time, or at least I didn't make the time, uh, to, get any further with playing. So I had one or two guitars and they most of the time were in a case under the bed or gathering dust somewhere. Uh, during pandemic time, uh, to add insult to injury of 2020, uh, Eddie Van Halen died. And I, I was a huge fan of, particularly Eddie Van Halen. Uh, I loved the way he played and always from when I was a teenager to my 57 year old self. And that kind of rocked me. I, it, it, you know, I, I uh, something about uh, the passing of a legend uh, did something to me inside and it prompted me and I couldn't play an Eddie Van Halen lick to save my life at, the, at that moment. Uh sort of fast forward but so he had commissioned with fender there's a whole line evh gear uh and there's among that line uh, there's a series of guitars called the wolfgang and i thought you know if nothing else if it's my if i hang it on the wall and i think of ed uh with my guitar hanging there i'm going to buy one of these evh guitars so i bought an evh wolfgang and somewhere along the line my daughter is a professional violinist you know this mm-hmm. and she said well we ought to come up with a, a uh, uh, practice discipline, Dad. Uh, you help me, I'll help you. And I'm thinking, I'm, I can't help her, but she's she's being nice to her old man. And she said, let me give you this one piece of advice. Pick it up every day. Just pick it up. You don't have to even play it. Pick it up and hold it. You let, you said it's a beautiful new guitar. That, you know, this beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, roasted maple neck. It's stained cool. It's got these beautiful stainless steel fret. just feels good in my hands. And she said, you have to build up a relationship with your instrument. And the best thing you can do every day is just to hold it. And of course, well, if you're sitting and you're holding your guitar, odds are you're probably going to play it, even if it's just for five minutes, which is her thing. Just play it, just play a chord and put it down. And I realized there was something to what she was saying. Uh, there, there was something in the ritual of, you know, I just keep it on a guitar stand next to a chair and I pick it up and hold it. 
and then I play it and then that learn you know, that kind of led me and there's so much speaking of technology there's so much tutorial online uh, on scales and form and tone and I'm always best you can't really replace sitting with a, a teacher in person but uh, that really wasn't available to me uh, and I came to realize that that was a spiritual practice and that was something I'd been practicing in other ways, something I'd counsel people to do. So you're saying, how how is it? I might not even have known that I needed the time until I took it, right? How many people do you know, they're running and running and running and either they end up getting themselves sick and sidelined or finally someone convinces them to take some time off and you say, I didn't realize how much I needed time off until I took it. Um, and so uh, where that whole thing about guitar and, and sitting with it, whether that's a Bible, a devotional, a pen, a piece of paper, or just a cup of coffee and a comfortable chair to sit and breathe for 15 minutes and maybe think about nothing or to consciously take the phone, put it in the drawer in the other room, find a quiet place. Maybe it's your car. You know, maybe you live in a nice place where it's good to go off for a drive. Or if you have a mundane task to do, do, like shine a pair of boots, just sit. And uh, it's somewhere in Eastern, Eastern philosophy. It's just you and the work. It's just a simple relationship of the task at hand. And there's something about putting a nice shine on a pair of boots. I used to practice that. I mentioned working at the grocery store. I worked at produce for a while, right? You'd come into stuff and you'd have, it'd been picked over from the day before and trucks would come in with the fresh stuff and you'd, I came to realize it was, it was a practice and there was a rhythm and a routine to it. And I was a praying person so I could kind of lose myself in a prayer focus. So I was just arranging fruits and vegetables on the shelf, not really thinking so much about it. But, but the ability to just kind of lose myself in the simplicity of here's me and a box of apples and I got to stack them up. Here's you under a tree with a pair of boots. And the shift in awareness is this is a gift. I have this moment in my day where I can peacefully perform something that needs to be done. And if you're a and to somehow ask, I'm just want to try because there's some people, someone listening like this is so, so not me. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it is. We're all spiritual beings having a human experience. And, and that's really, I love that. Right. Spiritual beings, spiritual beings having, having a, a human experience. We are spirit. You are. So you, you, you're not, you don't have a choice of whether or not you're spiritual. Now you can, I, you can name it and, and honor it in different ways or ignore it and just make yourself completely immersed in the material. Those things I can touch, taste, measure, quantify, achieve. Uh, but, but that's uh, only kind of putting a damper on this, this beautiful, eternal part of your existence, the central part. Uh, it's, it's ontologically true. You are spirit, and that's a thing that can never be taken from you. Uh, it can, it can be, and people might try. There's a lot in the world that does, yeah. or tries to damage it or uh, afflict it somehow. Um, 
but uh, for me, the more I navigated the corporate world and it, I, I couldn't name it, I couldn't name the thing that made me a little bit depressed uh, as I, and I, I mean, I never ascended to the highest ranks of anything, uh, but I had the skill set to, and I knew people who did, and yet I saw what from, for many of them, some of it, 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 they, they manage it beautifully and it's natural to who they are to, to, to lead in that environment. I was, but it was clear that something was, was missing for me in that environment and that I, I spent a fair amount of time in discernment and it was somewhat shocking actually that where it led was uh, this call to ordain ministry and never in a million years. I mean, if, if, if you were to get in the time machine and survey my friends in high school and college and say, get this one, Jim Coyle at the age of 30, whatever, is going to leave his corporate job and go off to seminary to be uh, ordained a pastor. The, the laughter would be unending or someone would, you know, <laughs> some, someone would take the bet against that. It'd be easy money. Uh, and, and yet drawing connecting the dots backwards. Um, yeah, I, I, I realized it was there all along. Um, church, seminary, colleagues just helped give me the language and the ritual and, and uh, the guidance that allowed me to accept this thing that I knew was lingering there but in, in a world where I graduated in whatever it was, 1987, with a degree in English, all right, in, in writing. And yet, right, but I, I got to get a job. My You know, coming home and my old man, like, okay. He, he didn't quite put a, a, you know, an hourglass on the kitchen table, but like, <laughs> now you got to get a job. And uh, so I, I took the first job I could find, which was selling uh, copiers and fax machines for an office equipment company. And I was decent at, at that work um, and did, did well enough. I mean, you mentioned the one company I worked for. I worked, I worked for Land's End uh, Direct Merchants, which by the time I got there, there's um, a two-part story to that. I worked for them. They had an outlet store near my house. So I was in high, it was a high school, summer high school job. And I worked with this guy, John, who was the manager of the store. He's just a couple years older than me. Um, but I did well. I was a, you know, I showed up on time, was personable. I was a good seasonal employee. Um, and finished that and went on to other things. And then years later, I bumped into him at a wedding. And I was in the process of looking and he's like, oh, yeah, let me give you so-and-so's card. And got, there's actually this thing. They were starting a new division <clears throat> called corporate sales. So they were taking their stuff and putting uh, custom embroidery on it, like logos and stuff. So just to say that the job I had when I was 17 turned into a very good corporate job uh, when I was t 28. Um, and several years there as a, a knucklehead uh able to have some really great experiences and not not be a direct colleague of some of the higher ups in the company, but to be on that same team as they were starting this new division was really cool experience. And yet 
in the midst of all that, this, um, particularly when my first child was born, um, I didn't want it as bad as they wanted it. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really want the same things that some of my friends in the office wanted. Uh, that's not to say that they're wanting it was bad. It just was not, it, well, wasn't, it wasn't for me. Is that, is that where you started like maybe hearing the calling? Yeah. Well, and it was, I grew up, I mean, very loosely, but I grew up in, in the United Church of Christ. Uh, just a very progressive mainline tradition. It was the community church where I grew up. It was polite church, I like to call it. It was nice. It was a, you know, kind of basic formational experience, but would not consider myself religious uh, or deeply religious as a result. But it, certainly a foundation was laid there. And between my, my dis-ease with my vocation and then this beautiful baby girl that I had in my life and my desire to want to be a providing good husband to my wife uh, and yet be more present. Uh, just the, those, that series of questions and stirrings, um, I realized that uh, they were, there was something holy about that. There was something uh, that I couldn't explain. I, I went through all the, the corporate stuff, Stephen Covey and uh, Anthony and Tony Robbins and uh, that, which are all good, I think, good personal development things, but there, none of them had what this feeling was. And honestly, it began with some of the uh, Christian radio. I mean, the preaching of Charles Stanley and Chuck Swindoll, uh, which because of the tradition I'd grown up in, uh, we weren't nearly that Bible focused. So it was, if you want to call them evangelical preachers, it was kind of the evangelicals that woke me up to this, this redeeming love, this, this story of a, of a God who is real and that, that pain and that, that sense of, uh, uh, disconnect that you feel, uh, maybe this, this alienation that's in your life from this, this, this Jesus who, who uh, all the language that we just didn't use, you know, that he came to die for your sins uh, was never spoken in that kind of direct term. Uh, so I, I, like for a while, all the, the guys that were on the, on the radio at that time, and some of them still around, uh, uh, Chuck Swinthal, uh, Tony Evans, uh, <clears throat> uh, Ravi Zacharias, who his teaching oh, yeah. was fantastic. Uh, it's a shame how how other things were revealed. Uh, but I'm just going to take the teaching for what the teaching was. So anyway, that, I just couldn't drink enough from that fountain. Um, and that was a catalyst to say, I, this doesn't, this isn't garden variety. Like God is like, you're going to play catch up a little bit here. Yeah. I, I mean, the guys that were steeped in Bible and I was, and I'm still jealous of my friends who, who just seem to have the, the, the word just kind of imprinted in their, in their memory, but uh, I'm totally running around in circles here. But it, to go from, I felt the shift in trajectory. There was a way forward. I continued in in corporate life for a while, uh, and then in a very net, a very 
a point that was a good jumping off point because the last place I worked was this big consumer electronics company that was being bought out by a foreign competitor. And I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to get fired anyway, so I might as well go off to seminary. <laughs> I'm going to be broke anyway, so I might as well go to school. Uh, and so then in 1999, I went off to to seminary in that incredibly challenging, uh, very much a sacrifice, particularly for my wife and kids. Um, but I, I can't imagine it playing out in another way at this point. As as a pastor, you are not a real good manager. I don't know if I'm, if I'm okay at saying that. No, it's, that's it's, fine. It's that's like, not my gift, yeah. Yeah, like we've talked about this. It's, it's not something, like I'm not just springing something on Jim no. here. Um, this isn't an observation. This is a conversation. There's this, there's a pull in the church for the pastor to be this multidimensional manager, like a manager, like he's the corporate manager. He's the mm -hmm. guy that brings in money. He's like the president of the local college or the big college down the road that's doing fundraising. And also he's the, uh, you know, I always think about that guy with the crazy hair that was the, the fighter. You know, Don King. Yeah. You're the, you're Only the, in America. You're the you're the Don King. <laughs> I and, love Don King. And not only that, but you're you're also the Tiger Woods. You're the Michael Jordan because you, you gotta stand up in front of everybody and be the one who knows the most about scripture. And in you take that whole paradigm and, and tip it on its head and and are like, no, it's about God. It's about worshiping God. It's really about studying to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, not studying so that you have it all together, not studying so that you know everything, not studying that you, you've got this, you know, you go into church on Sunday and you're good for the rest of the week, not studying like that. It's just about this life of being a real person, being authentic, being where you're at and slowing down and listening to the presence, the, I guess listening to the sounds of a presence of the Holy God. And and I see you very much like that. I mean, do you, do you, how do you, yeah. like, how do you, like, I don't know, cause I, I have wondered about this, you know. How do you balance, because all those other hooks are out there. They're pulling at you. As soon as you're a pastor... Um, you allow yourself to be compared to a lot of things, a lot of people, mm -hmm. and and some of them people are just people. They did they did bad stuff too, and just nobody knows about your bad stuff. Maybe your bad stuff isn't as bad as their bad stuff. You know, like I, I feel that a lot, especially like people say, "Well, you did you, your vet church is so different. Like you did something different." What, what I don't know that I really did it. It's not that different. It's like the same. It's just it's in the setting, like it's a different setting, you know. Yeah, it's a and, and that is, I think that's what it, it's right. It's about the setting. It's about the place. And the challenge, I think, is for a lot of pastors. Um, the the what we understand to be our local church or our, you know the the mainline Protestant church, with the building and the parking lot and the infrastructure. Um, in, at one era, um, there wasn't a lot of thought 
or effort that needed to go into marketing and advertising and promotion. You put a sign out on the corner and people came to church. If they live within the area, odds are you weren't obsessing on those things. Uh, to, to the moment where we're in now, where so many of us in my little church that I serve is not immune to it. Um, I think the average size of a congregation, at least in our denomination in this state, there are under 40 people in worship on a Sunday. And yet they're still occupying buildings that demand to be paid for and kept up so that we've inherited an infrastructure uh, that needs time and attention and money. Um, we have a, a, a remnant of a congregation that remembers how things used to be. I remember when there were 50 kids in Sunday school, and I remember and I, and all fond and good memories, uh, but we're dealing in a present moment. And so there are steps in, into this in this moment. Uh, in our tradition, there can be a man or a woman that uh, serves as the pastor of this church, and the expectations are varied. There are someone who is just, they need someone who's a good spiritual leader, uh, maybe can preach a good word on Sunday. And there's others saying, well, they've been here for a couple of years and we haven't grown. Where's the growth? Uh, how come giving isn't up? All the things that we measure in terms of, and their necessities given how we're doing church. And then uh, for those of us like me, uh, who draw their living, their make, that's where my source of income is, is through this congregation. Um, and the money has to come from somewhere. It's finding that balance of being true to what you're saying, which I, this, it is, that is my primary focus. It is on each an individual, each individual human being that walks through that door, each with their own story, their own brokenness, their own failures, their own successes, uh, and at different points on a spectrum of how they understand God to be available to them or present in their lives. That's the only thing that really matters to me, because if I don't take, if I don't nurture that, if I don't stay true to evangelization in that moment come welcome i'm so happy you're here come break the bread and pour the wine and and uh and sit with these prayers for a while uh, and see if if you don't find that you're healed or changed that's the central mission and my everything's ancillary to that in terms of the core of the vocation and i think what is part of ministry in the current moment is to equip the congregation everyone to take various pieces of the overall structure and let the money people manage the money and uh, let the the anyone's kind of stick with the particular discipline but for a long time it was just like that that the that you were the 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 senior you're the ceo cfo uh and also uh, you know, I, and this is, I love what I do and I feel blessed to serve there, but right in the course of a day, I can be changing the urinal cakes in the men's room, pulling dead rats out of the attic, uh, in lamenting the, the profit and loss statement that we don't have a profit and loss statement, but the books, you know, are just looking at our books, uh, and, uh, trying to minimize the red ink and, uh, praying that the air conditioner doesn't break down. Um, but remembering that all of it is in service to this central mission of 
just put it in real simple language of saving souls, yeah. saving people from aimlessness and sin. I, I, I played with uh, Michael McMillan. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. A great songwriter from Scotland. He's invited both of us over and our wives to go. All right. Glasgow, I think. I think there's haggis in our future, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> um, I, I've been to Scotland once. I think it's the most beautiful place I've ever been on earth. Um, Switzerland would be the second in my mind. But anyway, that, I'm, I'm yeah. digressing a little bit. Michael McMillan, we were talking, and, and he said he said I could use this quote. Somebody had asked him, like, when, are you, when were you saved? And he, said, he looked at the person. He said, "Every day, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like it's this constant, you know, like." And I mean, that could be a, you know, you could apply that to a lot of different things. And I, I, I specifically want to apply that to my relationship with Christ. In that, when I think about salvation, it's it's not this like I'm saved from hell. When I really think about it, that's not it. I was taught to think about salvation as like, I'm not going to hell. This mm-hmm. place of fire where there is no God. And now, as an adult, having studied and actually read the Bible and and really just just sitting with the Bible, I guess. You know, sometimes I do that. Like, I sit here and you see it right there. Like, there's my Xbox. There's mm-hmm. my Bible. There's the printer. Um, like, you know, I mean, I got, I get this little workspace here. And as you would sit with your guitar, sometimes I sit with the scriptures. Sometimes I'll read something. I'll just think about it over and over. Like, why did, you know, and having had the five semesters in Greek, I'm going to be honest, like, all it did was make me think more about the English. <laughs> like, right. like, I mean, there's no, there wasn't any, like, big boom light bulb went off it, it was more like i was being tortured you know like you you have to pass through this <laughs> this rite of passage and as i as i think about that so i think about this idea of salvation like maybe sometimes it is just sitting and playing the guitar and 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 i'm in the presence of a holy god maybe it's taking a walk like where you live mm-hmm. you can see the water you know, the, you're, you're in this, be- you know, that's the crazy thing about the Pensacola Beach Church. It's right smack dab in the center of the beach. Yeah. Yeah. And, you can see the Santa Rosa Sound off one side and the Gulf on the other. It's It's crazy. It's, it, well, and hundreds of people are coming down here for this moment. Right. So, and, and a lot of them, you know, there's a lot of drugs and alcohol. And so there's a lot of like... Folks not really moving very quick in the morning, Sunday morning. But there's a lot of other people coming there for races, for walks. Uh, there's all, you know, the music festivals. And what I love about it is, like, I've never felt like the Pensacola Beach Church was in competition with anybody. Yeah. It was like this haven of, there's two churches on the island, right? Yeah, two physical buildings that yeah. are churches. Two, yeah. two physical. Yeah, and then there's there's a congregation that meets in your physical building. Yeah, and then when it meets at one of the restaurants on the beach. So the, so it's like four congregations. Like four congregations meet. that worship on Sunday. Yeah, and it's so cool because like the people that want to go out there and worship, it's it's like going to this very sacred place. Mm-hmm. 
just to go there to be in the presence of God. Like sometimes when we drive over, we'll drive through the National Seashore to get there, and sometimes we'll take the bridge and go you know, through mm-hmm. Gulf Breeze. And it's like I can't get over. Like I, I can't get out of the idea that like I'm being saved con- constantly. Like salvation is this already and not yet. And in between those two is right now. And right now, like, I want to be saved with the congregation that you're leading. I want to be saved listening to some of the music that those guitars put out. I want to be saved, like you talk about Ed Van Halen. Like some of my, you know, like I, I love a bunch of rock and roll. I love a bunch. You know, it's weird too because it's like people say, "Well, you can't, you can't like this person because they did this." Um, anybody that's ever stepped foot in a VW didn't necessarily like Hitler. Right. You know, I mean, it's like <laughs> right. Uh, it's it, it's mind blowing to me where people get in this idea, like by association. You like, I put up a post about a guy that. He's very controversial, and up until that point, I had no clue, right? Like I just, right. I, I read what he said. It's a, it was a challenge to churches. I thought, oh yeah, I'm running vet church. I'll post this thing. Mm-hmm. The backlash I got out of that was, it was that meanness you're talking about. Like nobody's in the room with me being mean. Right. They're writing mean things. Now in the room, you know, I get, you know, I don't know if they wouldn't do that because, I don't think it's because of my size. Because when you get a lot of people together, it dissipates. They don't. Right. I don't think they're not being mean to me because they're intimidated. I think they're being mean, not being mean because like they're with another person. Right. And you're re- you're more prone to be polite. Exactly. It, it, while you're standing in front of someone, that's yeah. That's I think that's pretty standard. That's, yeah. And so like when we think about this whole concept of being, where are you going to be Sunday morning? It has nothing to do with God loving you, God dying for you, past, present, or in the future, God bringing you to himself. Where you're going to be on a Sunday morning has everything to do with where you're going to go be. Like, Do do you want to sit at home and sleep in every Sunday morning, or do you want to be with a group of people who want to come Mm -hmm. together, worship God um, in this manner. And like you say, on the beach, there's like four different great opportunities there. All four of those, tr- those communities are their communities. They're people getting together yeah. and, and it's awesome. Like, you know, yours is one of the, there's two of them. They're extremely traditional and yours is the one mm-hmm. and that I would go to, I will be going to and have gone to. And I love this concept of like, I'm being saved right now. Like by hearing each other's stories, like listening to your story a little bit, yeah. As a as a right. as a pastor, yeah. when did you come to that? Like, when did you come to this idea that? Wow, hang on a second. It's not all this book. I mean, it was good that I went through the book knowledge, but now I'm in the presence of God. Yeah, I I and probably somewhere, uh, in, like you were talking about your experience in learning Greek somewhere in seminary whatever it was a systematics class and whatever we were reading Karl Barth interesting very interesting the 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 thought is very satisfying 
but at some level, it still left me flat. I, I that I didn't it, and I think it was even that professor who said any theology that can be reduced to a system isn't worth having. It's beautiful. <laughs> and That's he beautiful. was a professor of the systematic <laughs> theology, and but his his work and some of his doctoral work was on the divine economy, uh, on the economy of all things. Uh, the connectedness, the interconnectedness of all things. It's also probably a, of all the books I've read, maybe for me, the most formative was this book by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy, that that heaven is happening now in the conspiracy. The, the great thing is that we, we can participate in it now. We can operate and behave and live and think as citizens of the kingdom of the heavens now. As a matter of fact, it's our call and our obligation to invite everyone we can into it um, and that that there is this divine economy that's happening and that each and every one of us has our own kingdom or our own economy that we manage our sphere of influence our careers our jobs our vocations our hobbies places where we have points of contact with others uh, and and can find purpose and meaning and direction for ourselves and uh, our 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 choices in all those moments, those all those, as Michael would say, those all those opportunities we are, we have, to to be saved. That is from you know within our church's confession or statement of faith. It is that that all would be saved from aimlessness and sin. Um, that rather than our wandering, rather than being so immersed in in the material, uh, having to make a certain amount of money and live in a certain place and have a certain amount of of uh, social credit, uh, we're safe from all of that and and called to the to appreciate the beauty of 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 being. To be charitable is beautiful. To pause and to to. Take a moment, in, in the case of art, to make things that are authentic expressions of, uh, of themes of goodness and love. Uh, worship that is not stiff and rote or, or packaged in <clears throat> such a way as to be entertaining, um, but in the best of our capacity as human beings uh, to communicate the mysterious presence of God. Um, that's that's this interconnection of uh, so I can really appreciate when you know, this guy who's this is company that comes in they cut the grass at church our grounds have never looked better you know and I was just pausing like it sounds weird like I don't you know I wasn't doing shrooms or anything right I was just standing there because it sounds weird that I was standing there admiring how beautiful the edge that he put on the grass was and that everything was trimmed right. And I'm like, he did a beautiful job. It is hot. And he could have just tried to run that, you know, those mowers go fast now and they're wide. He could have knocked that thing out, skipped the trimming and gone. And, and I he certainly would have had an excuse to. Um, so his 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 practice of, of of his obligation, his work, it it was excellent. And so I was thinking, you know, it's the person that comes and, and cleans the windows and trims the bushes or uh, takes the time to engage me at the grocery store and my obligation, my responsibility to them on the other side 
there's a lot of salvation in there that saves us from a world that becomes increasingly cold and impersonal. Um, and if it, it starts with a simple, and it, it's not, it sounds saccharine and silly, but a, a, a smile and a hello and a, how are you today? And then pausing to listen for the answer. That's huge. That's a huge thing. And I believe it's a mark of the holy. It's not just good etiquette. Those things that light you up inside, I believe it's because you've touched the divine. It feels good to be charitable because that's got that is you're right. You're singing in harmony with God's song. Uh, not it's it, sure maybe it somehow triggers an endorphin rush or whatever, but it is like oh you're hot you're warm you're over the target there, you 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 stay in that spot and it, when you speak honestly in love with someone, uh, you're saved from the hell of dishonesty when you can look at yourself in the mirror and say dude you got to stop drinking, and you got to find a group and you'll find people who are going to help you do that, that's that's that salvation from feeling like crap every day, the salvation from the, the self-loathing of being unable to escape. Uh, And whether or not we, uh, or however it is, we understand the hell that might be waiting for some on the other side of this life. I think we, if this to the Dallas Willard thing, again, the more we practice uh, and live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven now, it just pushes the, to me that diminishes. Uh, I don't. It doesn't take up much headspace for me to think about hell, uh, rather than I. I want to look at at the incredible sacrifice that happens on the cross, and then the miracle of the third day, and the one who comes into the room where the locked door is locked, and they're all afraid, and he comes and he says, "Peace be with you." I am not a ghost. I am not a ghost. Check it out. And by the way, you got anything to eat? I mean, come on. How good does that get? And to just to sit for a minute, as they say, as he says at the end of the gospel in John, I'm writing this story so that you will come to believe that Jesus is Lord. And this is not a connection of, of, of uh, illusions and fictions and metaphors. We were there and we saw it. And I'm writing with an urgency and I'm risking my own life because no, seriously, we were out fishing and we hadn't caught anything all night. And we saw this dude on the beach and we were just getting the gear cleaned up. And he says, just throw him out one more time. And we're like, oh, okay, I'll play. And boom, more fish than they could ever imagine. And not only that, but he's got a shore lunch waiting for you. (laughs) How good is our God, right? And rather than, you know, and I could... I understand why people are cynical, um, but drop it. Just drop it for a minute. Make yourself vulnerable to the possibility that that's how much your creator loves you. And that, I mean, if there's anything, we talk about the administrative stuff and managing a, an organization, that's the fuel. That's the fuel for me is uh, anytime I feel depleted and I think, why do I, do I want to do this anymore? I'm always blessed with that reminder of this is why you do it because it's awesome. It's awesome to see someone come back to life. Well, I, like, man, I'm glad you did this today. Yeah, me too. This Thank is, you. This is the, uh, you know, you're, 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 you're helping a lot with uh, Vet Church doing 
that stuff. And it's, um, we talk about doing it. We talk about it because of what you're saying right now. Like the, the purpose is we to bring people hope. And, and although there's people that don't agree with us, when I see them, I see people made in the image of God. So I have to like say, hang on a second, that person has just as much worth and just as much value as anybody else does because we're all made in the image of God. And they, they may not believe, you, whoever you know, is listening to this may never believe like we do. Their story is still important. I still want to hear them tell their story. I still want to be within them in the same room. They're... They're uh, they're amazing. They're they're God breathed. They're whether or not they're vulnerable to it or open up to it. I'm totally with you. I love I love to hear people's stories. And I, and any it's one of my images of what heaven might be like. Is this enormous table, um, and and there's a place card there for everyone. Um, and whenever it is that you come and you take your seat and the food is great, the wine is excellent and there's time for everyone to tell their story and everyone leans in and listens. I mean, how wonderful. I almost don't want to say anything after that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks for doing this. Anything, oh, else man. You wanna, anything else you want to say? No, I, I just think uh, you and I have got some stuff that we're working on. Uh, and so uh, opportunities for folks who live in the area to come and, and worship with us, pray with us. Uh, and then for, you know, for folks who are out and remote, I just think I'd ask uh, those of you who are praying, uh, praying types, uh, I pray that you pray for the ministries of that church. Uh, for everyone who leans in and listens, some that person who maybe found us for the first time this week, uh, hang in there. Uh, there's a lot of really faithful, dedicated people who love you uh, and, and, and want to make your miracle uh, be a part of your miracle. Um, and I think we're going to do that with events and more music and more art and more conversations. So just thanks for letting me be a part of it. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thank you for joining us for this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.